0: We're so glad that you've joined us today on the Relevant Church podcast. There's so much God wants to do in and through you as you listen to today's message. If you want to learn more about Relevant Church, visit us online at thisisrelevant.cc. I'm going to be talking to you today from, this is not my latest book, but it's a book called Identity Theft. A couple years ago, I was doing some statistical research and found out that 14.7 million people in the United States had their identity ripped off. But I don't think that's near the amount of identity that's being ripped off in the body of Christ. Not knowing who we are in Christ fully. Understanding, see, we all have a perception of how we see us, but what's really necessary is how God sees us. So look at someone and tell them, "Do you know how God sees you?" Oh, that's not near loud enough. I don't even believe that you said anything. Say it again. <laughs> look at just someone. And say, "Do you know how God sees you?" Listen, Webster's Dictionary says that your self identity, your self image, is how you view you, how you view your abilities, how you view your appearance, and how you view your performance. You know, we are a performance society. We think that everything is dependent upon us. And we look in that proverbial mirror like Michael Jackson, the man in the mirror, and we view ourselves based on how well we did yesterday, last week, and the month before. But the only thing that is of any real value is to know how God sees you. But we're being ripped off. Our identity is constantly under attack. We're constantly hearing the ever-increasing deafening voice of the enemy that tells us we lack value, we lack worth, we lack... And so it keeps us in a place of always surviving and never thriving as God intended. I'm going to read, if I can... It's called The Secret I'm Ashamed Of. So I'm just going to read just real quickly from my book. And I don't know where you're at. We all have a story. I'm going to eventually today tell you mine. Parts of it may shock you. But God, do what only you can do. We're looking to you. The Secret I'm Ashamed Of. Let me tell you a very personal secret I've kept hidden my entire life. Uh, Most of our church found out about this when they read the book, not because I had ever told them. I'll never forget the first time it happened. I was about five years old, and my mom said I had talked back to her. I don't really remember if I had. I can honestly say I thought I loved my mother as much as uh, a five-year-old can. However, those feelings would change as a horror that would haunt me for decades began to unfold. I was not certain that what she said next was something she really meant or wanted me to do. But somehow her face said it all. In her rage, she told me to take off all my clothes and lay naked over the edge of the bed. My mom had never spoken to me like that before, petrified with fear, and shaking uncontrollably at five years old, I obeyed. I heard her running through the house toward the kitchen. My mom was a large woman, about 5'7", and weighing in at about 250 pounds. She was as strong as an ox. I couldn't figure out what she was doing, rummaging through the drawers in the kitchen. I could hear the clinking of metal upon metal. It was a sound that I would hear many times over the course of the next seven years. As she came back into the bedroom, I glanced over my shoulder, wondering why she had brought the long-handled metal barbecue spatula back with her. It wouldn't take long for me to find out as the first blow hit me then a second, and then a third. I screamed out in horror and pain, shocked that my mother could do such a thing to me. Her strength and anger combined with her tool of punishment stung and cut through my flesh. Humiliated, bruised, and bleeding. The only thing I could think of was, I must have deserved it. I felt confused, uncared for, unloved, but strangely at the same time, deserving of the punishment I had received. Why do so many feel deserving of the punishment that they receive? Does the abused wife stay married to a man that beats her because she doesn't believe that she's deserving of anyone else? Do the kids that are bullied in school day after day because they're too tall, too short, too big, too skinny, have freckles, they have the wrong color skin, they wear glasses, do they deserve the treatment and the bullying that they receive? What is it about this unfair, harsh treatment that has been portrayed and given to us in many of our lives that we believe somehow we deserve the punishment we receive. I grew up with a poor self-image. I eventually got married with a horrible self-image. I deeply and genuinely can tell you today that I believed I was unworthy of genuine love, that no one could genuinely love me if you get the book today, and you read the entire story, you will find out that my thoughts were this, that there must have been something so terribly wrong with me that my mom had to beat me to straighten me out. And that would set a pattern in me that would cause me to think incorrectly, believe incorrectly, and come to an explosive result in my adult life the garden the grasshopper and the good news you know the first identity theft took place in the Garden of Eden one day the serpent shows up and I'm going to read to you from Genesis 3.1 you know see the problem is is that many of you when you read these things you just look at it from a historical value and you miss what the Holy Spirit is trying to say and he's trying to teach us something today because your gardens are under attack your home life is under attack and some of you Adams in the room you need to stop looking in your neighbor's garden uh oh I know there's other eaves around but your garden is under attack perhaps it's in your marriage or your finances or your health or with your children but our garden's under attack Genesis 3:1 Now the serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals The Lord had made one day he asked the woman did God really say you must not did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden, have you ever wondered or realized that the first question mark in the Bible, the first question asked in the Bible is a questioning of God's word? And that the enemy would love to do the same thing to many of you here this morning. Someday you're sitting here, one Sunday you're sitting here and your precious pastor gets up here and he gives you a word and you walk through those doors and there is a moment where you are inspired with hope. God has spoken to you. Things are going to be good. Something is going to be different. And you walk out those doors believing God when all of a sudden there's a voice that resonates deep within you and it says, did God really say? Did God really say he was going to fix your finances? Did God really say he was going to get your husband off of that alcohol? Did God really say? And we see a pattern that our garden's Our image is under attack from the very beginning of time because, see, the enemy wants you to doubt in the dark what you received in the light. And how often, Mark 4, comes true, that Satan comes immediately to steal the word that was sown in your heart. Of course, Eve replied, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said, listen to what Eve said, God said. Listen to what Eve said, God said. You must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. God never said that, but we'll keep going. You won't die, the serpent replied as he lied. I added as he lied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be open as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God. Listen to what the enemy says. You will be like God. He's attacking her. You will be like God, knowing both good and evil. He insinuates to Eve that there's something missing in her life. And if you will just do this one thing, the thing that's missing will be fulfilled. Are you with me? So he insinuates, listen, who here has heard the insinuating voice of the enemy? If you just do this one thing, even though it's wrong, you'll feel a lot better. Things will be okay. And how many of you, when he insinuated, insinuated it? They didn't get it. I'm going to say it again a lot slower. How many of you, when the enemy insinuated something to you, in sin you ate it? Oh, I'm just just messing. Isn't that what Eve did? He insinuated something to her, and in sin she ate it. But it wasn't the fruit she did. It wasn't the fruit. The first thing she took a bite of was his lie. He said, if you just eat this, you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. Wait, wait, wait. Eat, eat. Listen, hold on. Let me get this straight. The enemy just told you that if you eat of this, you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. Isn't that what the enemy said? Come on, somebody help me here. Right? But isn't the truth... Genesis 1.26, God calls the Trinity together and he says, Come, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. Hold on, Eve. The devil just said if you do the wrong thing, you'll be like God. But the truth is, you're already like God. And listen to me, children of God, here this morning, you don't need to do anything to be who you already are. And that's what the enemy wants to do. Well, that's where we're going this morning. So many of you feel under some compunction, some compulsion to do something. And it's like me sitting here saying, oh, oh God, put me here. this morning. Lord, please put me in Niles, Michigan. In the middle of Relevant 316, this morning, please... What an idiotic prayer to pray to be somewhere where I'm already at. And yet, some of you, the enemy, is constantly attacking your self-image, degrading you, downgrading you, telling you if you'll only do this little thing, you'll feel much better about yourself. The woman was convinced. Verse 6. She saw the fruit and the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious. And she wanted, listen to this, She wanted the wisdom it would give her. Eve screwed up again. It's not the tree of wisdom. It's the tree of knowledge of good and evil. God already gave you the wisdom via the first commandment to be fruitful and multiply, replenish the earth and subdue it. You have the wisdom to conquer the earth. What you're really going to lose is the wisdom that you already have. And some of us look at things, we look at that proverbial fruit thinking if we'll just take a bite, we will feel so much better about ourselves, not realizing what we're about to lose. And God says, you don't need to do anything to be who you already are. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave it to her husband who was with her, who was what? With her. And he ate it too. You know what happened? Men? Adam? failed to protect his wife's self-image. Come on. You've seen your wife. For those of you that are married, your wife comes in and says, Honey, look what I just bought. I just got a new dress. (laughs) What do you think? And you know, you're looking at it, and you're going, That is the most ugliest thing I've ever seen. So you're just, you're smart. Honey, I've never seen anything like that. Right, And then when she comes out of the shower and says, Honey, does it look like I've lost weight? Don't tell her to turn around because you think you found it. You protect your wife's (laughs) self-image. Adam failed to protect his wife's self-image. Do you know your pastors are called to protect your self-image? To not shame you, degrade you? They're not called here to manipulate you to condemn you, to conjole you. They're here to bless you. They're here to refresh you. They're here to teach you, correct when necessary, only for the purpose of uplifting you. The grasshopper. So God comes to Moses and says, Moses, I've heard the cries of my people by reason of their taskmaster. That's what he said. Moses, I have... I. Is a personal pronoun, correct? I have heard the cries of my people by reason of their taskmaster. Now I have come down to deliver them. They're at the burning bush. And all of a sudden, God tells Moses, Now go deliver my people, right? Wait a second. God, you said you heard. God, you said you've seen. God, you said, You've come down to live to deliver them. Now you're telling me to go. Right? Isn't it amazing? God wants to tell you what he's going to do in this city and beyond. God says, I'm going to heal this city. I'm going to deliver this city. I'm going to bring revival in this city. And, and yet some of you step back and go, Woo! I can't wait. And then nothing happens because God isn't... Wanting you to watch, God's wanting you to be his hands. God's wanting you to be his feet. God's wanting you to be his mouthpiece. Moses, I've heard, I've seen, I've come to deliver. Now you go. God does the same thing here. So Moses says, okay, so Moses goes into the land, Egypt, the land of not enough. Say not enough. It's where all of us lived before we got born again. We lived in the land of not enough, and Moses' job was to get them out of the land of not enough, to bring them through the land of just enough, to get them into the land of more than enough. But see, I have found that like the Israelites of old, many Christians, after having come out of the land of not enough, continue to live in the land of just enough, never living in the land of more than enough. And it's because there's this false belief system that's been perpetrated in the body of Christ that only your needs should be met. God, just get my bills paid. Get my rent paid. Get my house payment paid. Get my car payment made. Heal my body. Well, see, that's the most selfish land of all. When you've come out of the land of not enough and you're now living in the land of just enough where Manna fell from heaven and water came from rocks. The truth is God wants you out of the land of just enough to move you into the land of more than enough so that you can give unto every good work and help the church get people out of the land of not enough. You know, God has a life cycle. Did you know that? Everything that God created that has the breath of life in it is meant to grow. How come a a blade of grass wants to grow a sixteenth of an inch overnight? How come a tree branch wants to grow a foot over the course of a year? How come our bodies grow as we feed it some a little more than others? I know, I'm sorry. But the truth is, everything that's alive that has the breath of life is meant to grow. And God's life cycle is this. You are meant... To have more. See, when you become more, you can do more. When you do more, you have more. When you have more, you can give more. When you give more, you live more. When you live more, you forgive more. When you forgive more, you love more. Then let the cycle repeat. Now you're becoming more, doing more, having more, giving more, loving more, forgiving more, and becoming more again. It's the life cycle. There should be a growth, a life cycle in the church of Jesus Christ. And us coming out of this place. So Moses brings them out of the land of not enough. They're in the land of just enough. They get to the promised land. He sends spies and they come back. And you know what they say? Well, we went in there and the promised land is just like God promised. But there's giants in the land. And we saw these giants And in our eyes, we are like a grasshopper compared to them. Now listen to this. Here's what they said exactly. And they saw us the same way. How would they know, since they never talked to anybody in the promised land, how the people living in the promised land viewed them? They didn't. The truth was they cast their self-image believing that the way they viewed themselves was how everybody else viewed them. But the truth is, Rahab the harlot would tell them 40 years later, when you first came into the land, when you crossed over the Red Sea, our hearts melted with fear. That was their actual view of the Israelites because they had a poor self-image. You see? You ready? You ready? You ready? The fingerprints of the Egyptians were all over the minds of the Israelites. And you know what fingerprints do? That's why I used a fingerprint on the front of this book. You know what fingerprints do? They identify a thief. But only after what was stolen shouldn't have been stolen is taken. Oh, he got them out of Egypt. He just couldn't get the Egypt out of them. See you may be in a small place today just don't let the small place get in you. Here's the problem with the Egyptians and the I mean with the Israelites and it's the same problem with some of you today. They believed their past position was a permanent position having greater power than their promised provision. Should I say that again? They believed their past position was a permanent position that had greater power than God's promised provision. God has a promised provision for the body of Christ. He wants to take all of you out of the land of not enough. Yes, some of you are still living there. Through a short journey through the land of just enough to put you in the land he promised for you, the land of more than enough. The good news, real quickly, the good news. Our identities, I told you, are under attack. Who you are in Christ. Even good, well-meaning Christians will tell you things to put shame on you, to blame you. You know what I say to all of you today? Shame off you. We sang it this morning. He carried my shame. So I'm saying if he carried it, then why am I picking it up? Why am I trying to pay for something that's already been paid for? You see, I just want you to know I rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ while other Christians are running around trying to finish it. So if you read in Matthew chapter 3, Jesus goes to be baptized by John the Baptist, right? He doesn't want to baptize him, but Jesus says, let it be. And so Jesus goes to be baptized, the Bible says, and the Holy Spirit descended like a dove. And the windows of heaven opened up, and this is the way you would hear it and render it in the King James. And all you religious folks, if there's any here, would say, This is my beloved Son. In him I am well pleased. Hear ye him. King James. Here's how I read it Holy Spirit came down, windows of heaven opened, and God begins to speak. And here's what God says That's my boy! That's my son! That's my kid. I am so happy with him. He blesses me. So you read it the way you want to read it. But you don't know the inflection or the sound of God's voice. I think God was happy. I think God was excited. That's my kid. He establishes Jesus' identity. That's my son. Not only does he establish his identity... He tells everyone there what he thinks of his son. In him I am well pleased. He's baptized. You know what happens, next? I'm keeping this all in context. The Bible says immediately the Spirit of God came and whisked Jesus away to the desert. We're in Matthew 4, chapter 4, verse 1 now. To fast for 40 days and nights. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. I would have been Hungry after 40 minutes, but after 40 days and 40 nights, he's hungry. And Satan comes to him. Uh, This is purely in context. The last thing Jesus heard 40 days ago, the last voice he heard, was his father saying, this is my beloved son, in him I'm well." Last thing he heard, last thing he heard, Satan shows up. Jesus is tired. Jesus is hungry. Jesus is weak. And here's what he hears. If you are the son of God. What? A direct attack on Jesus' identity. The last thing Jesus heard was, this is my son. Right? No, nope. this is my beloved son. Now Satan comes and says, well, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Sounds like a good idea if you hadn't eaten for 40 days and 40 nights with a little hot butter on the side. I mean, everything is great. But did you notice with this attack on Jesus' identity, if you are the son of God, the one thing that Satan left out, I was just teaching in a Bible college yesterday morning in Los Angeles. And I asked the students that same question. What's the one thing that Satan left out? Yes, he directly attacks Jesus' identity. God just told him, his father just told him, you're my kid. And now Satan comes along and says, if you're his kid. But see, Jesus heard the father say, this is my beloved son. And isn't it funny that Satan left out that one word, beloved? When the enemy comes to you because if he came to attack Jesus' identity, don't you know that he will certainly come to attack yours? That he'll come to tell you how unworthy you are, how undeserving you are? Listen, it isn't what you've done, it's what he's done for you. It isn't your performance that counts It's his performance that counts. It's called positional truth. See, I was, I'm I'm only speaking for me for a moment, I was baptized with Christ. Then I was crucified with Christ, then I died with Christ. Then I was buried with Christ, then I was resurrected with Christ. Then I was seated with Christ, and now currently I am hidden in Christ. That is my current position because of what he's done, not because of what I do. Some of you just got to get your eyes off what you've done, what you're doing, what you might do, and recognize the fact that you are God's beloved children despite what you might have done. And Start looking back to the grace that sets us free. He attacks Jesus' identity, and then he says, and here's the rub, the one part I want you to all get this morning. If you don't get anything, please get this. He says, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. In other words, Jesus, I know you heard a voice. Whether it was God's or not, well, we won't challenge that for the moment. But if you really are the son of God, then tell these stones to become bread. In other words, if you are a son of God, then do something to prove it. And it's the same whisper that Christians I have found all over the face of this planet are undergoing each and every day. If you're really a child of God, then do something that shows to everybody else that you are. Prove it. Prove it. Do something. Come on, prove to me that you're a child of God. Make some sort of action. Give something away. Let go of something. Do something to prove that you're a child of God. Remember with Eve, you don't need to prove who you already are. No work is necessary because the work has already been accomplished. Would you just look at me for a moment? You are precious children of God. And whether you've known it or not, the enemy would love to attack your identity, especially in your weak moments, like in Jesus' weak moment. He was tired. He was hungry. He was thirsty. So Satan came to attack him in his weak moment, and Satan will attack you in your weak moments. You're too young. You're too old. All the excuses, all the reasons. But Jesus... But Jesus performed perfectly for you so that you could be in perfect standing with God. You are, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I am blood washed and blood bought. I've been redeemed. I've been set free. I'm the head and not the tail. Above always and never beneath. He's given me the mind of Christ. He plucked my foot from the miry clay. He set me in a high pavilion. He released my foot from the snare of the fowler. And then John has the audacity to say, as he is, so am I in this world. Children of God, well, you don't know what I did, Pastor Rob. doesn't matter. I know what he did for you. You know what I'm saying today? I'm just saying something simple. That whether you feel like it or not has nothing to do with it. Your feelings have nothing to do with it. What he did has everything to do with it. So I had a horrible self image. I got married, had three children, went into full time ministry at 19 years old. Had um, hundreds of kids in my youth group. Having an amazing time of ministry. Married for 10 and a half years. Christmas Day, 1986, my best friend, my father, I was at his house, it was Christmas Day. Had my three-year-old son, my five-year-old son, my seven-year-old son. I kissed my dad on his forehead. I said, I love you. He said, I love you, son. I walked out a few hours later. He died of a massive heart attack. Two weeks after burying my best friend, my father, my wife moved to New York City with the pastor of the church I was in full-time ministry at. i have been married almost 11 years. So now I've lost my father, my best friend, my pastor, and my wife, because they're living in New York. So the church council, the church elders, and the church board call a special meeting and invite me in. And I'm thinking, they're calling me in to love on me, minister to me, tell me we'll be with you, don't worry, Rob, We're, we've got your back. And they call me in, and here's what they said. They said, you're fired. They said, what? They said, you're fired what do you mean I'm fired? They said, well, we're believing for the pastor to come back and when he gets here, you can't be here. Well, because I've now lost my job, my dad, my best friend, my wife, my pastor, and my ministry, in two weeks I lost my house that I was renting. They also repossessed my car. My three sons and I, my three-year-old, my five-year-old, my seven-year-old son, we moved into a garage, but not a garage like you might think. This garage wasn't attached to a house. It had no toilet in it, had no running water in it, had no heating in it, had no carpet on the floor. It had a TV, a broken bed, and a dresser. I think maybe it had a microwave in it. And we lived in that garage, not for a day, not for a week, not for a month, but for over a year we lived in that garage. And I made three promises in that garage. Let me tell them to you really quickly. I'll never go back into the ministry. Would you blame me? I'll never trust another pastor. Would you blame me? And I'll certainly never trust another woman and get married again. Three promises made in a garage. If you thought my self-image was damaged by what happened to me as a child, imagine when you feel in the period of six weeks that you've lost everything but your life and your three boys. We were stripped bare. What do you do in that place? Do you just resign your life To a place of just barely getting by eking out a living thinking that you are not worthy of genuine love well all the years and decades I had already believed that now it was just confirmed I am a loser I'm not worthy it's confirmed it's settled judgment has been declared And I, like the Israelites who had an Egyptian mentality, did you just bring us out here to die? There wasn't a room to bury us in Egypt, so you brought us out here. I had a garage mentality. I will die here. I will take care of my kids. But something sparked in me that maybe everybody else wasn't the problem. Maybe I was my own worst nightmare. Maybe I was my problem. Maybe the way I viewed things and everyone else, but I was certainly hurt and I was certainly wounded. And today, well, I'll just tell you, I've broken all three promises. But what if I wouldn't be Pastor Jonathan's pastor? I wouldn't be here today. This magnificent, huge, thriving church in Monrovia, California, we call Hope Unlimited, wouldn't exist. I doubt that my boys would be in the ministry. But here's one thing I know. Because I've lived it. You can choose to remain bitter because of what's happened to you, because we all have a story. Or you can choose to be better and let the healing process begin. If I told you it was simple, I put Tanya, my precious wife, here through five years of hell. Now I've given her 25 years of sexy. hate the game? Or is it don't hate the player? I don't really know. (laughs) I know. That's what my great, this very thing, I have a grandson about your age. I have several of them, many. That's what they do. They look at me like, I don't know you, Papa. I just, I, I do not know you. I'm here to reconcile. I'm good with my ex-wife. As a matter of fact, we're friends. I've made peace. That man that lived in the garage, that youth pastor, uh, did I tell you that church was had 1,500 members in it, and when I moved into the garage after I was fired, let me tell you how many adults reached out to me you ready? Not one. Not one called, not one knocked, not one visited. Not one ever came by and said, are you okay? Do you need groceries? I realize you've lost everything. And I was bitter about that. I was angry at everything and everyone. And I, I was a victim. Well, I am a victim no more. I am a victor. And God has sent me on a message and a mission with a mission with a message around the world. A message of Reconciliation. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is past, the new has come. All this is from God who was in Christ reconciling the world back unto himself, giving us this message that God is not counting men's sins against them. That's what we do. We are reconcilers. Would you bow your heads? Thank you again for joining us on the Relevant Church Podcast. If this message has been impactful to you, let us know by sending an email to hello at thisisrelevant.cc. If God is impacting your life through this ministry, join us in reaching others by investing at given.thisisrelevant.cc. Don't forget to subscribe to our channel for more messages like this one.